0: Um, raise private sector confidence in Ukraine, uh, lower cost of borrowing for Ukraine, increase foreign direct investment, especially you know after the war when reconstruction begins. But hasten the rate of foreign direct investment uh, after the war is over, and also you know make it make it uh, so that, that the, the Ukrainians who are now outside of Ukraine um, are more likely to find work outside of Ukraine in a way that helps ukraine directly as well as well as through remittances i think you know between all of these factors there is no good reason to keep candidate status away from ukraine especially after ukraine for the past eight years has shown and publicly demonstrated again and again it wants to be uh, a part of the european union that it wants to integrate with the rest of europe uh, and will do whatever it takes to do so um Yeah, and and I really think that this isn't about Portugal. I really don't think this is about the Portuguese government. I don't think the Portuguese government cares particularly, one way or another. And I think the Portuguese government wants to help because the Portuguese people spring, as you said, are so for helping Ukraine. Uh, I really think that they're being, uh, you know, pressured maybe by someone else or maybe it's being suggested firmly by someone else outside of Portugal to them that... uh, no, they should they should behave a different way, or that they should make statements like this, uh, so that bigger countries don't have to sully their
1: hands with it. Axel, French French support for Portuguese requests and future. That's all there is. Horse trading by Monsieur Macron yep. and his decrepit elite.
0: Absolutely, uh, we're trying to get you connected. He's having great difficulties joining today, sadly. Spring.
2: Exactly. I think it's, um, as far as I know, cost is, uh, uh, what is skilled is in um, finding uh, deals with uh, other European uh, countries that uh, we always have to pay it all. It's nothing new. And so I actually, I'm thinking it would be about the gas price also and uh, somehow that uh, the possibility of building that pipeline to France, something like that, it should be something like that in the in the backyard. But I will try to pay attention to see if I can go further. But uh, I don't trust him. I have not voted for him. So I'm particularly, um, um, for me, it's particularly easy to criticize him, but with arguments always.
0: Exactly. And I think this is this is a good time for, you know, maybe Portuguese listeners here to you know, write a strongly worded letter. I'm sure that if you D M P three she's very happy to share whatever she's writing. Uh and uh maybe you can uh you know, don't even have to write it yourself. Maybe you can just lightly edit uh the text that I'm sure she will very skillfully uh craft um you know, to, to tell them that this is an unacceptable piece of piece of horse trading, let's say uh for the portuguese people as we know it is right as as we well know it is and this is possibly the the cheapest way for portugal to go
1: and help uh ukraine right now but he's not trading horses in his horse trading attempt he's trading horses
0: <laughs> yes right um shall we go to john joe who's had his hand up for a bit now
3: john joe uh, yeah good, good afternoon everyone um just a thought for uh, like, like Axel, perhaps or yourself to comment. I've been reading up on our Defence Secretary Ben Wallace, and uh what a wonderful guy. He certainly knows, from my point of view, what he's doing. And I'll point you to uh, a speech he made at uh, the National Army Museum in London. I don't know you've read that at all but uh, your thoughts Axel, on on ben wallace and how he's doing as far as um ukraine war thank you
1: yeah with well, pleasure i shall be glad uh, summarizing the notions i've <laughs> dispelled here on a regular basis um there's very little praise which i can't heap on him because i've done so already <clears throat> but let me repeat it I think uh, that uh, Mr. Wallace, apart from the fact that he has been writing his thoughts very proficiently, elaborately and with distinction over many, many years, having understood. um, Military deterrence as part of sovereignty, as a vital part of sovereignty, um, he also seems to be a very capable communicator into the armed forces rallying support yes it's difficult it's always difficult if there's one thing which is difficult it's uh keeping the troops um supported and supplied with but i mean with he, he as someone who's quite capable at his hand and uh keeping the budgeting process rolling is difficult and he's been criticized for this as every minister of defense gets ultimately criticized for it but i think he has managed to um pursue the key objectives and when the intelligence started to suggest earlier last year uh, during the preparations for support as well as then thereafter in october when this carried over into the build-up and um, since then uh, not only to arrange the massive support needed which he takes it as both an intellectual and a moral um obligation and i think that's right and this stands in good stead to everyone who defends democracy but that yet again that it has to be uh, blighty is just uh yeah a sense of uh independence pragmatism and uh a deeper sense of uh obligation that not everybody seems to feel and uh i think in that regard we're very glad ukraine is very glad uh, but everybody else on the continent who doesn't have a um, political leadership um, on that stature is very glad that Europe has Ben Wallace and the politicians surrounding him and the people in Whitehall and the Ministry of Defense supporting them. And uh, for the first time in a long time, uh, there is trust again in the capabilities of the intelligence service, which is part and parcel of all of this. And it seems to be that a, a couple of leaks and uh, holes have been plugged, which is great. And that the focus there is probably even better than uh, in other places of the world, where sometimes the intelligence uh, intelligence has failed us. Um, this time around, people understood Sigand human well. Uh, Wallace, as a leader of uh, his team. From the outside, looking in, and we don't see much, if anything, as you know, but from what we can see and what he communicates, um, there's a clear distinction between him and the remainder of the political class in Europe. So my kudos to him. I find him absolutely stunning in having assumed that role and that mantle. And um, that bodes well for his future. And I hope it bodes well for Ukraine.
3: Not my thoughts entirely, Axel. I think um, we should be proud that we've actually got a politician, if you call Ben Matt, a politician who understands exactly what is job in town. Thank you, Eric.
1: My pleasure. Sorry, Jens, I just said to cycla Dorman.
0: Yeah, sorry about that. I mean, I'm not apologizing because I did something. I'm apologizing because Axel has to do stuff unnecessarily. Uh, thanks to Twitter's ex- excellent technology uh, doing its job yet again.
1: We should be very lucky that the technology is employed by... Our friends currently defending Ukraine are not as um, deficient as Twitter. Uh,
0: Should we go to Ben? Ben has his hand up, right? And then I'm sure John, you will as well. Ben?
4: Uh, yeah, thank you, Damon. um I don't know. You're, you're, you're a smart person. Uh, I know you're not an economist by training, but I was wondering if you had read something. Um, that could allow us to understand what would be the impact precisely of uh, cutting the export of gas from Russia uh, on first the Russian government and the the Russian economy. Because up to a certain extent, if it's only dollars coming back in, uh, this is just money and money can be printed. And if it's, at least on the short term, uh, it, may not, it may not have a, set, um, uh, a really important impact on, uh, on either on the government and its ability to wage war or on the economy and its ability to support the government. So have you read something or have you thought of something which would uh, be a strong um, argument in favour of cutting uh, gas exports?
0: Can I defer this to Axel, please? I don't, I, I don't know what would happen to Russia. Um, The Russian government is really hard to predict in the first place because it's so dependent on things that are outside of the realm of reality, let's say. Uh, I think that's that's something important to understand as well. Um, Axel, what would happen to Russia if gas exports from Russia ceased?
1: Well, they would lose another source of income, Um But um, that's fine. Um, I I couldn't care less. I mean, technically, they just lose another source of income. They would have to find another home for it. They would also lose a lot of their, um, say, exploration capacity. We talked about the technicalities. If you shut down their gas pipelines, uh, you ruin a number of substations. You do um, have um, you, you actually would have to be able to stop actually getting it out of the ground. And uh, it's not quite like an oil well, but it, it's a difficult process. And this difficult process, you need service people for, you need maintenance people for, you need to have the spare parts for, and you need to have the capacity and the skill to do so. And there are um, vast arrays of people they are missing in this regard because the people have been withdrawn. So good luck with that.
4: Thanks a lot. But what I, what I meant was maybe... Shorter term, because the yes, of course, maybe maybe their their uh, um, system for um, gas exploration will will, would become decrepit. But no, the
1: pipeline can't. can't, The pipeline can't um, say if the pipeline is stopped. This is not just short term. Then the impact on their production and the impact on what they're doing with their pipeline is immediate, because it's constantly under pressure.
4: No, I understand. I I I think I understand that. But what I meant was, okay, they they lose they lose uh, dollars. Their dollars are not coming in anymore. But how do they need those dollars to be able to wage war, considering that they cannot spend them, or they can hardly spend them, and sometimes they cannot even access them in the first place. That's that's uh, that's the. That's true. That's absolutely true. They can only currently spend them on black markets. Respectively,
1: with China, China is actually uh, which we do not have evidence for, if China or its uh, proxies are allowing are allowing the Russians to spend dollars. Problem really in that regard is where do the Russians hold their dollars? Most of those dollars, uh, rising from or euros, arising from uh, those payments have either been kept abroad if they were for oil or in terms of gas they have ended up on these spare bank accounts where a spare bank has to then um, say condu- uh, convert them into rubles so some conversion has taken place that's true uh, but then they end up with rubles don't forget the ruble is non-convertible currency unless unless you find someone who's willing to take the risk for it so they are between a rock and a hard place they have very very few options to actually import so they have to resort to counter trade and barter and that is where this whole thing starts the question is what do they counter trade um, and how much of it do they counter trade and where do they do it
4: do you have an inkling about about this or are you just it's just theoretical
1: no this is a uh, summary as to what typically uh, sanctioned regimes uh, try to do. And Iran has done this for many moons and it's a classic way of structured commodity finance. Um, if there are activity, it's about actually countries who do have effective capital controls themselves imposed rather than just being sanctioned. And uh, then you end up in barter regimes. We had this in the past. These barter regimes, by the way, did exist with the Soviet Union as well. So there's nothing new under the sun. And um, so it's not just an inkling. Um, uh, and it's just not a theory, it's just a matter of finding out what they're importing from whom and against which they are then delivering hydrocarbons. And I do not have numbers at this point in time because it's very foggy at the moment. But they're doing it, definitely.
4: Okay, okay, okay. So basically what you're saying is that those dollars, even though they're difficult for them to access, and even though officially they cannot trade with them from abroad, the the presence of a, of a black market means that they can they can actually use them, and the more they have, the the heavier presence they can be on the black market. And as a result, uh, the banning export and preventing the Russians from having access to the dollars is uh, uh, plugging. We some should of be the careful. Leads.
1: We should be careful. We should not be talking about dollars, and Ben, I, I agree with you generally, but dollars is, that is the oil currency, quite literally in this regard. A brand crude, the likes. It's all of this is dollars. However, gas includes euros, and European um, off-takers have paid in euros under the existing long-term contracts. And then there was conversion of those euros into rubles. So that obviously leads to um, leads to different policies in your Euro- in uh, Russia. But the, the issue is that they currently cannot substitute. The imports necessary to carry out the war easily. They have to find different venues and avenues for that, which is where counter trade or barter comes into play. Is it successful at the moment? It doesn't look like.
4: Okay, and um, is is there a way in any in any way to to make the government go bankrupt, or because they're just sitting on the on the printing press? Well, um, even if we, we were we managed to cut 100 percent of their uh, commodity tax. And their uh, direct and indirect tax on the on the on the population was also diminished tremendously. Uh, while they could just print the difference, and as far as their ability to wage the war on the short term, there wouldn't be a difference. Or am I missing something?
1: I don't think that bankruptcy is a key aspect. It's degradation, bankruptcy or illiquidity. Um, two different things, by the way. Um, the key aspect here is the degradation of their uh, supply chains and their industrial capacity as a result. They were heavily dependent, and effectively they still are, dependent on spare parts, tools, um, machinery, equipment, uh, and chips to be imported and supplied by Western um, companies, specifically from the US, Canada, Japan, um Germany, France, Italy, you name it, Uh, Finland. I mean, pretty much any of those nations which have a good industrial capacity, good technology and the likes. And they've been, their independence uh, was never uh, achieved. They never had any kind of industrial production, um, at least not since, since, as long as we can record time. Um, which would integrate what is the modern economies of the West and their uh, technological advancement. They just haven't. Even the pieces of kit Rosatom has used are predominantly reliant on pieces and equipment which we deliver, we being the West. Even um, what they've been shooting in their rockets, ships there have come from the West, which is why it is so vitally important that SpaceX gets uh, gets its act together to... um, supply, whatever will be in future, a new version of the International Space Station. The degradation of the economy is a fact, and it's we already know that the sanctions are cutting. They the effect you will see in weeks and months to come. But they will be long lasting because if the capital stock of the country is degraded in a format that all the supply chains rip, and there's no further import of those key pieces of spare parts, equipment, machinery, and chips, they will not be able to dig themselves out of the hole because you can't. You need precision tools. You need these spare parts. You also need the people who can um, operate them. The brain drain, which goes hand in hand with what is going on, will lead to more engineers leaving the country, specifically those who have capabilities, skills, and the likes developed, which are uh, conducive to working in such industries. As a consequence, they are in dire straits.
4: Fantastic. Thanks a lot. So there's no uh, magical button, but in the long term, this great.
1: There is no button,
5: Johnny.
6: Afternoon. Um, I was just wondering what the what the situation is with um, in, in Russia at the minute in terms of just support for the war or not, and the reason I ask is just that at the start of all of this, there was there was regularly stuff. Pinging around on a feed of protesters, you know, even silent protesters just walking around the square in Moscow, or whatever. And it seemed like there was a lot, you know, there was a fair bit going on, or or, or maybe it was just well documented. I was just wondering, has that has that sort of stopped, given the when they brought in the the legislation um, against it for the for the prison sentence, um, or have people just sort of are the people who protest been sort of put away and fined, or? I was wondering because it, it just seems you don't seem to see much any um, anything other than support for it at the minute in
0: um, Russia. So um, you're you're right. Obviously, the protests were never very extensive, right, compared to what you've seen. For example, in Maidan, there's a legion of in Ukraine, 2013, 2014 You know, Moscow, a much bigger city, still the size of the protest is just pales in comparison. Um, of course not all russians support the war right no no one never do you have a country that big to be unanimous in anything right however uh the vast majority of russians seem to be supportive of uh russia conducting the war in ukraine uh, some are just ignorant don't really care that's always true as well uh but by and large it seems to there to be the very least tacit support if not active support um there are less protests now than there used to be before. However, what we have seen is the rise of a partisan movement in Russia eventually after a few months uh, that became somewhat active. And um, um, yeah, that's, that, that's the other aspect. There is also a Russian legion. There's a number of, uh, of Russians, you know, a small number, but, but a number nonetheless, who are fighting in Ukraine, on the side of Ukraine, uh, much like the Free Belarusian Forces do. Uh, like the Free Belarusian forces fight under the white red white banner, uh, the Russian Legion fights under the flag of Novgorod, the white blue and white. Um, there was also a protest recently in London of Russians who live in in, in London. You might have seen that, Johnny.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, they're under white blue and white as well. You know, calling on the regime to stop the war. Uh, but outside of that, you know, these are these are relatively small numbers. Certainly, so small numbers compared to the population of Russia, right? And. Uh, it, yeah. numbers would have to be far far greater and far more active uh to be able to to do that
6: um yeah it's quite it's quite i mean at the start of it, it was it seemed like certainly to me that that was going to be one of the ways that, that, that this might possibly end you know some, one of these factors where you can actually sort of put your finger on and say yeah you know protests might grow to the stage the country might get sick of it people coming home dead bodies coming home with their mums but it just doesn't seem to have happened does it which is i don't know it's sort of, yeah, it's dis- well, not to say disappointing, obviously, but just doesn't seem to go. So I suppose another question, then, is, is anybody here, is anything, does anybody know any Russians who actually have spoken to them and has gotten feedback from, from the
1: whole house? <laughs> such? So- Sorry, so I think you had a hot mic there. Johnny, please go on.
7: Yeah, I uh, noticed. I w- can I respond to so, the first question? No,
1: can you wait for, can you wait for a second to, for Johnny to finish his point and then we'll do this, please. Johnny?
6: Yeah, I was just saying, it's it's obviously since the start, at the start, it seemed like a, a, a sort of a, a tangible sort of way out for the war, for it to end, from the from 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 the the population in Russia, you know, protesting against it, and the, the, the mothers who were getting the dead kids coming home, protesting, but that doesn't seem to have happened, and now it's, you know, obviously the only other option is what we're in now, where it just seems to keep going on and on with the fighting, but then the last question was just going to be, does anybody in here actually personally know any Russians, um and spoken to them and sort of got their perspective on it or from what's going on inside or is there not really much coming from the inside even like for you guys who are, who are well tapped into to this sort of thing
1: Well, i can tell you about the russians which we uh have here in estonia and there is a significant split going through the society. One part has dedicated itself to um, civil society and has actually found comfort in being free. And um, whilst they protect and preserve what they believe is their um, families, heritage, and culture, and the likes, they have come to see that Estonia actually as a free country, as a country which protects the rights of its citizens has treated them rather fairly well, despite the fact how it, despite what it suffered from. That is quite unique, actually. And uh, that part of society is actually the larger part. And then there is the other part, uh, the ones what we would in Germany would call the ewig gestrigen, the ever yesteryear ones, yearning for past uh, power and the likes some of whom are just too old to be taken seriously some of them have declined ever learning estonian some of them therefore have never atten- uh, have never attained even citizenship despite the fact that they have not repatriated to their beautiful wonderful homeland and have stayed on the is the issue of a very few not too many but a very few thousand still left so-called gray passports uh, and then there's some of them who are agents provocateurs, who no, try to raise a ruckus here, uh, most of whom, uh, when they become very annoying and they're given rope to hang themselves, but when they become very annoying or denouncing or aggressive or insidious, are openly being sponsored by the FSB and the SVR, then they are typically escorted across the bridge, meaning um, sent across the bridge to Na- from Narva into Mordor.
0: Norman? Um, I think VSL should uh, go next, I'm guessing.
7: Thank you, Doman. Um Yeah, I want to respond to the first um I'm, I'm a bit lost uh, because of multiple messages. Um, could you repeat your first place a bit? Who
0: was that Name that? Was that
6: Johnny?
7: Yeah, Johnny sorry
6: i mate. yeah i think i think the first thing i said was just about other the the well the lack of and more so the the sort of degrading level of anti-war
7: oh, yes, in yes. yeah thank you um um olaf or uh, what's his screen name uh, told a bit about it and if he is able uh, um, it was nice he had a nice anecdote and basically he said and uh, I'm, I'm just here not uh, retelling but uh, retelling from my own perspective what I remembered what I found nice is that um, or nice um, for Russians it's difficult to speak out uh, out loud and and not I'm not pro Russian mind you but um, they basically say uh, when a priest comes by it's my boss which gives a certain perspective um they're heavily controlled and and uh, like in the world war Two, there's uh you can report people so yeah to speak out and protest is is i think that is difficult and just to add to add some perspective to your question um even have my um I have some family who, who marries, uh, who's gonna marry a Russian. She uh, she is uh, uh, actually only born in Russia and moved out of the country, but um, she has still contact with family there. And getting deprogrammed, uh, as you might say it, uh, westernized, is quite difficult, and it's um, so yeah you you need to understand to to um why the why they don't react the way we expect them to to react like for example if um two western countries would attack each other it's, it's so different it's mind boggling that's all yeah. i wanted to add no that's
6: great that's it really the only i think sort of, um, touched on earlier which was you know, I just watched that Winter on Fire documentary recently about, about Maidan, and that's, you know, when you compare the two, you've got everybody in Ukraine, and they, they weren't exactly sort of welcomed protests that you'd get sort of in my country, in the UK, where it's just sort of, you know, police are there waving at you. Yeah. That, that was pretty tough, and there was a lot of... You know, it was dragging on, and there was a lot of beating that, yeah, the Russians, who are supposedly very similar in their view, they just don't... There's no, there's no protest, is there? And it just <laughs> seems... I just don't see how get Well, not don't see how... He, Without that, without that internal pressure, it just seems so difficult how it would, how it would stop other than just going through total, you know, military, the, the military means that we're on now. I mean, there can't be any sort of political. if There's no political pressure on them inside. he wants to keep going, now, how on earth can it stop other than just just charging? Well,
7: can, it, it's. <clears throat> I, I don't want to be pro-Russian, or I want. No. Maybe put a pin in, but they, um, um, I just pointed out that um, it's difficult to understand, and I get where you're coming from. I had the same questions, but Russians have an unspoken way to communicate, something you need to understand. I think if you are one or, or you have a, a Baltic, if uh, Slavic, background you might understand better than for example us uk german uh, german may be bad but um more more towards britain or beyond i but maybe i like wendy as a perspective uh he has always a nice way of words nope oh uh
4: thank you
8: um is that a BSO? Um, thanks, mate. Uh, can you hear me? Alright. All
0: right. Yeah, yeah, we can. Alec, um, like when you have your DMs in the last five minutes?
8: Um, no, I'm currently at, currently at sea under my own propulsion. Um, but I, I thought I would just chime in um, with the perspective that certain Russians have. Um, it's been years since I've um, really had this this kind of communication with them, but they always seem to compare the Putin era to that of Yeltsin. And they always seem to have, um, within every sentence of Putin, seem to be kind of self-affirming their own um, opinions um, by comparing Putin to Yeltsin in terms of Yeltsin humiliated us, Putin is the person who has reversed that. So that that ideology is, uh, when I came across it i perceived it to be quite strong and um uh yeah no, i'm not, i'm sorry i have to go Slava, ukraine hello
0: um think you Alec, wendy no you're, you're quite right obviously a lot of what is uh, currently going on um, is uh, <laughs> comes comes in light of how russia was in the 1990s right uh, but that that doesn't excuse it for one second Alec, wendy i know you're not Intending to do so, I'm just clarifying for anyone else. Um, Russia was a disaster in the 1990s domestically, and um, Putin tried to kind of reverse that. Of course, he did not succeed. Uh, I think in about 2000, when he came to power, he once made a statement that, you know, under him, Russia will, uh, the GDP per capita, say, right, Russia will come at least to the level of Portugal. Uh, which was at the time the poorest EU country, uh, the poorest EU member state in terms of GDP per capita, and 20 years later, Russia is still, you know, has a GDP per capita less than half of that of, of Portugal. So he's flopped. He's decidedly failed on all fronts in that respect. Yes, it is true. Um, Uh, yeah, yet, yes, it is true that that Russia was a, a complete disaster when he took it over, uh, but now Russia is being a complete disaster, not just for itself but also for others uh, who have nothing to do with Russia being a complete disaster in the first place, and that's particularly insidious, I would say. Um, one of our Finnish listeners is letting me know that you know some of the Russians living in Finland have changed their names and even you know gave up russian passports because they're afraid they're, they're so ashamed of what's being done in ukraine and you know that's quite right um there are absolutely it's not every single russian that supports the war um but in you know in aggregate far too many do uh, far too many support putin's aggression against ukraine and very importantly, you know, far too many are just tacitly looking on, not saying anything about it, saying little about it, not doing anything about it. And this is why the war has been allowed to to continue, uh, in part. You know, it's not the, not the only reason, but but in part. Uh, VSL,
7: I had a total different uh, topic. Um, going back more to Ukraine and their inventiveness um if so if, uh, and and yeah so i posted a uh, tweeted uh justin um a get wood gasifier um that i found on the telegram channels which amazed me it's it's so such um, um inventiveness and and will to go on i i admire that kind of stuff of ukraine going Going strong, huh? they have f- fuel shortage in uh, for for civilians because everything goes to the uh, war, of course. And then making wool, wood wood gasifiers is an amazing feat. It's not hard to do in sense if you have the right equipment, but <clears throat> that kind of stuff is is heartwarming to see that they develop such a method to to keep their daily life continuing and yeah i really like that to see that and it's um, seeing people yeah making the best of it so yeah that's uh, we have all the bad things and the war and the horrifics which i truly despise but also the resilience of the ukrainians the the way they uh, we are rebuilding already and maintaining it's it's Really heartwarming in in both sides the the war they fight and and the the moving on. So it's it may amazes me. That's all I wanted to tell about.
0: Thank you, VSL. There are indeed you know, lots of uh, lots lots of things that can be done and are being done. Um, yeah, absolutely. You know, engineering feats like that um, to improve the
5: everyday life. Uh, Vishnikovsky. Back to the previous question, I just wanted to add that I do know at least two Russian speakers inside Russia. Um, and the perspective that I got from them is that at least they're suffering from the different shortages, maybe from paper shortages to electronics equipment becoming more expensive, um, etc. Um, One of them calls the war that is ongoing, the situation, and the other person says that her and her circle of friends, at least 80% of her circle of friends, is against the war. So there is some hope. There is some Russians who are against the war. And there is some people who, with their capabilities and their capacities, are helping the West, even if we do not know it. Um, so I at least know of of some people who are helping, actively helping the West from within Russia. Um, so I think there is, there's hope. Um, and from my personal anecdotal evidence, something that surprises me is that the Russian experts, which I have come across, um, and let's say post former Soviet Union experts, um, they are surprisingly regurgitating Russian propaganda more than Russians that are no living in Russia themselves. Um, yeah, that's some observations from my personal anecdotes that I wanted to contribute.
0: Thank you, Vishnikovsky. Um, let's go to Slava Ukraini.
9: Roem uh, Slava. So. Uh, so I would like to respond to the topic uh, about the Russia and fresh news from from the Russia. Uh, just today and yesterday I had uh, no pleasure, but listening how regular Russians talk about the Russia, West, and of course Ukraine, Ukrainian language, how it is his strange language, how they don't understand. This Ukrainian language, he strange for the Russian, because in this way that they don't understand that we have in the Ukraine, not just uh, we have different languages um, uh, changes. So it is single language, but his have different uh, territory has different um, how to say uh, sound. And they don't understand. But yes, uh, today I had uh, no pleasure listening how they talk about the Russia and future of the Russia. So uh, what they saying, we are happy. Even at this time of this war, they say, we are happy. We don't want to go to uh, protest. We are happy. We don't want anything to change. We don't want to do my revolution, they saying these words. It's not my words. They're saying... Uh, bringing the ukraine as exam as example we don't want a revolution or maidan in the russia and what they saying, they just confirming confirming what i know they want a daddy they want daddy who gives them signal from the top what to do they don't want to be free they don't look into change their life they they, they are comfortable to sit in quiet, don't uh, show your head above uh, because you're gonna get on your head, and just do what saying. they say. This is a normal life, uh, way of life. They want uh, government to give them. They don't want to go and pay, make life for themselves. They want to that the government just give them everything they want and sit quiet. So um, thank you, so this is my take,
0: thank you. Thank you, Slavo Karini. Um, I don't know what the order is. Let's go to Uliana and then to Michelle, Uliana
10: Well, I just basically agree with everything Slavo Karini just said, that hope for Russians really has kind of extinguished itself, like like a week after full-scale invasion maybe, the whole kind of talks about Russians going out on the streets and overthrowing their government, we see how it all went and we see the extent of their propaganda and I don't know 80% of people who don't support war even more so I don't know, it's a very kind of specific statistic and it's like a very close circle maybe, I don't deny that there might be some individuals but like in comparison to those who are actually in favour of the war or are complicit uh, to what's happening in, in ukraine like they don't don't go on the streets or they just like comply with everything comply with sanctions comply with uh like basically everything that's being put on them by their own government they're fine with it they're fine with censorship with they're fine with kind of getting five year sentences for their kind of for posting something on the internet, that's how it was, and that's how it was for years. And there was no real change, even among Russian liberals. Yeah, they kind of spew out kind of comments criticizing like their government once in a while, but no real and considerate action was taken. So I think that's just uh, like nature of like Russia, uh, like nature of Russian people, that uh, they both. Are guilty because they were kind of support some of the 80 percent supporting the war and those 20 percent who were complicit or they kind of left russia so i don't really want like this idea to be kind of, i don't know talked about that oh there is still hope for some russians currently russian soldiers are killing ukrainian soldiers and ukrainian civilians and we need to kind of concentrate more on that than on the kind of Russian civilians suffering because their cards are not working. Because again, I was like subjected to this a lot before. Like oh suffering of like suffering of ordinary Russians. Russians are suffering as well. Well Russians don't have rockets flying over their homes. So that's as simple as that.
9: And they Exactly and, Juliana. I'm sorry. I'm sorry Domin. And they really just laughing laughing about this war. They don't care and they while they uh, while nothing is really hitting them, they're just laughing. It's, uh, they don't care about every anyone. They just care about uh, themselves. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Slavok, And uh, thank you, Uliana. I think Uliana you know, summarized it really well, as per usual. Um, and it's something that Uliana and I talk about sometimes as well. And uh, um, her, words, her, her words really let's say echo in my in my head afterwards every time no different this time uh michelle please go ahead and then uh, vishnikovsky and john michelle
11: hi thank you um i'm not sure if you want any more on the subject of uh russian civilians um i was just um coming up to give an anecdotal story about um, someone i encountered to basically back up what juliana and other ukrainians are saying about russian civilians um, it's not someone I personally know. Um, I was in Waitrose in the UK and I had just been to a Ukrainian fundraiser. So I had a blue and yellow manicure and I popped into the loo and a woman came out, she saw my nails and she pointed and nodded and went Ukrainian. And I was like, sort of, yes. And she had a, um, I ca- I can't tell the difference between accents at the best of time, but I could tell she was from Eastern Europe. Um, and she pointed at my nails and went ukrainian and i gave her a big smile and i went yes love Ukrainian, and she kind of nodded at me um and i asked her where she was from and she kind of said oh i'm russian and she says but i've been here for 20 years so this is a person who's russian that has lived in the uk for 20 years so um i was not automatically assuming bad things um but i was like oh okay cool and she says yes and um it's terrible what's happening in ukraine but i'm really worried about the people in russia they can't buy anything at the moment and i was like um, well yes sanctions are i'm sure hurting some people but you know obviously ukrainians are dying and she was like yes but you know i don't i don't think it's actually what it looks like um i i don't think putin is doing this i i putin wouldn't be causing all of this drama i think that it's the eu that's caused this and like sort of she kind of gave a nod and walked off and i stood there with like a mouthful of teeth completely flabbergasted at what she said and i think i'm just giving this little anecdote because of johnny's question that even russians who have lived in the uk for 20 years who have all of the information at their hands who have no restriction on accessing the truth still are think the the real kind of the real drama is or the real sad thing is that some russians can't buy fancy goods and that none of this is like russia's fault anyway so i really do think that when ukrainians i mean like I know some Ukrainians have had a lot of pushback about saying, like, all Russians, but frankly, so many of them that it is, it may as well be all Russians. I mean, a Russian would have to kind of prove their, their, like, sort of good standing before you could assume that they weren't one of the vast majority who are, Either supportive or tacitly supportive, or really don't think it's a problem that Ukrainians are being genocided. So um, I just wanted to support um, Ukrainian's position, the the Ukrainian position, like sort of in the like sort of on Twitter, and um, just give some personal feedback of an encounter to Johnny's question. Thank you.
9: And it is uh, showing. It is showing how uh, the Russian have no ability, and no one. They don't want to change. They just want to live in other countries, uh, have nice life, but still uh, be complete uh, Russian. Thank you.
0: Okay, um, and Johnny,
5: and then we get to Antti Thank you, Doman. I just wanted to take this um, brief opportunity um, to maybe clarify myself. Um, so, Julian is absolutely right listening to me um, that this lady has that I'm, I talked about has a small circle of friends, among which 80% do not accept the war. That's the only thing I mentioned. So, I never said that. Um, this will be a huge sample, and it's a collection of personal uh, anecdotes. Those in the space who know myself, um, I'm a big supporter of Ukraine. I have my colleague fighting there, helping them, trying to bring medicine, and have half a Ukrainian family. So my heart beats for Ukraine as much as, as it can. Um, I'm, just, I'm just saying that my, my, my statements, they are like without any waiting or balancing the information that I wanted to share with the space. It's information from my personal connections. and I think that one thing is important um, for the West is that if there is, and I know a few people, uh, if there is some connections in Russia that we have which are against Putin, which are sympathetic to the, to the suffering, with, which are on Ukraine's side and trying to help We should try to keep those connections alive, because it's important um, going into this fight, going into the future with the fight with Russia, it's important to have some people on the other side that could work in a partisan warfare that could work supplying us with intelligence. Um, It's important for us to know how sanctions are working. So it's, it's not when I say this is how Russian people are are currently suffering from my perception from the sanctions. It's not that I'm saying, hey, the sanctions are bad or something. I'm just saying, hey, it's a good barometer to know how they are suffering, because like this, we know where the sanctions are biting and we know where we might want to sharpen them or something. So I think it's important that we have honest suppliers of information from within the belly of the beast. That's what I wanted to say. Slava Ukraini. Slava. Um, it's
0: absolutely important, right, to to know what what exactly is going on and when. Um, and no, uh, I guess we have to be good with with saying right. This is how. Um, this is how it it should be, right? And this is how it should be. Um, uh, sorry, this is how it is, as opposed to. Um, you know, this is how it is, and th- this is worse than what the Ukraine is going through. I think just, just being clearly clear and clear that is always good, uh, just so that nobody gets confused. Uh, and Domin, yeah. I didn't
1: quite hear you correctly. Let's do this again. Slava, Ukraini. Hiram Slava. Slava. Slava, Nazi.
0: Smet, vodaham.
9: Smet,
1: And for our U.S. and British audience and international audience, maybe you just translate what we said.
0: Uliana?
10: I'm here. So it's a kind of typical explanation we use in Ukraine. So, Slava Ukraini, Glo- uh, Glo- uh, Glory to Ukraine, to which uh, it's, uh, we reply, Heroim uh, Slava, uh, Glory to Heroes. And uh, the second chant is goes like "Slava Nazi, glory to nation," and "Smert uh, Vorham," which is "death to our enemies."
0: If you missed any of that, check the nest above. We have an explanation, etc., uh, freshly written up because uh, there are many requests and a lot of confusion from. Uh, some of our listeners so we, we typed it all up and it's it's all above um, if I got the IPA stress positioning rules wrong I apologise about that um, I, I'm yeah a bit lost at this point in, in the IPA rules not the linguist by training I think Juliana uh, let's go to John and then let's go to Antti Uh, We also have Irina with us. Irina, I I see you're with us for the first time. If you could be so kind as to mute your microphone uh, using the button in the bottom left corner, that'd be great because there's some feedback coming from your speaker and the microphone. And thank you so much. Um, so it should be red in the bottom left corner, not not blue. Is basically what we're getting at. Um, if you want to say something, just put your hand up. You can do so by clicking the heart with a plus, which is just to the left of the big blue button in the bottom right corner. If you click that, and then the rightmost option is to put your hand up. Perfect. See, it's great. And we'll just we'll just go around and we'll, we'll call on you, and um, uh, then you'll unmute yourself and, and, and go right ahead. Let's go to Johnny real quick, and then to Auntie Johnny.
6: Yeah, just yeah, just finish up. Thanks, thanks to them anecdotes people have said in insights. Interesting. It almost seems to me like it's it's strange because it, it's as if the they're, they're not massively sort of patriotic, and that's not the reason why they're all for invading the Ukraine. It just seems like they just don't seem to care about it at all. And they don't want to know about it. It's not as if they're, they're sort of all saying to people, "Yeah, let's go on, let's re, re, you know rejoin the Soviet Union." It just seems that they're just like like I think a few have said they just happy to go along with it so then so just slightly moving away into the solution to it what obviously something needs to change in russia some of the attitude to, to try and sort of get any traction from some sort of political political solution so then how how do we go about doing that as the west how do you do that and is, and, and is it is it possible and has it happened in the past is it is it happened in any country where have sort of gradually changed and niggled away at the population, and managed to change their the ideas of what should, what should happen successfully.
0: Um Yeah, it, it's uh, even 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 a lot of people like Michelle noted, even people who had left the country a long time ago, often stay in things by say propaganda etc. for a long time afterwards, and it's a uh, it can be difficult uh, for, for many to leave uh, those influences, uh, which is quite disturbing, really, that you know, in the free world, with free access to information, with the ability to see everything that has been done by Russia and the Russian military and mercenaries, etc., um, in Ukraine to still you know, turn away and think, oh, no, nothing's really going on. Anyway, um, I think we've possibly spent enough time psychoanalyzing uh, the wrong country. Auntie. Thank you.
12: <clears throat> so how, how, is, uh, how is everyone doing today?
1: We're doing fine for one reason and one reason only. Heroes never die and the Ukrainian armed forces are closing in on two attack vectors in regard to Kherson.
12: Hero and Slava. Yeah well that's that's really good to good to know that there's good news from the uh, from the front. Uh, you there's there's quite a bit I could get into about Russia, but uh, I I think I get the sense that you're uh, sort of uh, willing to move uh, to a different topic, so um, uh one of the things I was wondering were well, there's two things first of all has has there been any any developments uh, on sh- on snake Island Is there still a continued uh Russian buildup?
0: I don't think we've seen updates from snake Island for a bit um so to speak. Uh I've not seen anything new, and uh, maybe Gunny has, but I think Ryan right. will be with us in a, in a bit.
13: yeah the only thing I would add is they upgraded the air defense systems on the island from like an, a basically a panzer they brought over three weeks ago to the newest tour, which basically indicates to me that they're they're more serious than they were before. Also the only other change we've seen is um they're starting to actually dig in these mobile uh, radars and um air defense batteries which you know sort of shows you they're in for the long haul. So nothing necessarily um revolutionary per se, but uh, just a renewed commitment to the island being in Russia's hands for as long as they can hold it.
12: So and good morning, CJ.
13: Good uh, afternoon, Antti. <laughs>
12: <laughs> <laughs> so I would I would say that 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 is a bit worrying in the sense that the Ukrainians clearly are not willing to uh, sacrifice or put in danger any of their assets. or they, or they don't feel like they have enough, uh, enough strength to, uh, to clear out the Island a second time, at least for now.
13: Well, I'll say the, um, it's not all bad though, because in the Kherson front, which is arguably the closest front to Snake Island, Ukraine has air parity. If not, again, it's pretty close, but they're flying sorties over that front and close air support. Um, and additionally, they've brought up what we think is maybe an S-300 or some massive Ukrainian air defense system, a mobile platform to keep Russian helicopters and fighters back. So if you, if you think the point of the island was to establish air dominance in the region, especially over the southern and southwestern provinces, um, and to give them situational awareness through radar, it isn't working for the Russians in that regard. So they can do whatever they want on Snake Island. But if Ukraine continues to make advances on the ground war, it's sort of all for nothing, in my opinion.
12: So was it actually also around Kherson where there was uh, some accounts of Russian attack helicopters uh uh bugging out for no apparently le- reason whatsoever so is that is that uh, due to the S300
13: It um it could be a couple of things it could be an S300 which you know Ukraine lost about half of them in the opening phase of the war but they've fix some older ones. And they've also gotten some from other countries. So it's certainly possible.